0: 36, if you'd like to be turning there in your pew Bible, if you would please. Um, this is too good for me to read by myself, so I'm going to have you uh, read the even verse, and I will read the odd. That should be easy to remember. Cliff, odd. You even. <laughs> the Each verse ends... Uh, in the same phrase um, for us in the NAS this is the nineteen ninety five version that you have in your pew. I think that's the one you have,
1: NAS. I mean ninety five
0: his his loving kindness is everlasting?
1: Yeah, his uh, his is okay. um his loving kindness is
0: okay. the word loving kindness is variously uh, translated if you had in ESV, I would say his steadfast love endures forever. That's the ESV's favorite way of uh, translating the word. The Hebrew word is hesed, by the way, or the Hebrews uh, kind of say a kh together. Hesed is how they say it. It, it means goodness, uh, faithfulness, uh, truthfulness. Um, the New American, the newer New American Standard. Instead of loving kindness translates it, his faithfulness is everlasting. Uh, King James, my favorite, and the new King James, for his mercy endures forever. Endures is a supplied word, in the new uh, King James is just his mercy forever. Uh, CSB, Christian Standard Bible, has his faithful love endures forever. NIV has his love endures forever. Uh, World English, loving kindness endures forever. And uh, Lexham's uh, English Bible, his loyal love endures forever. So all these different uh, aspects or translations of the word hesed um, show us how packed with meaning the Hebrew language is. I I love the English language. It's a great language. Uh, My daughter studied some English literature, so she kind of, her appreciation for English literature rubbed off on me a a little bit. But um, the Hebrew, you know, what takes us 11 syllables to say takes the Hebrew three syllables. The, the, The second phrase in each verse is hesed olam that's all it is. Three little syllables and his mercy uh, forever. And so that's one of the wonders and and the beauties of Hebrew poetry. In this psalm we give thanks to God once again because he is good. There's none good but God and his loving kindness is everlasting and we are to uh, give thanks to him. So we have praise to him, we have blessing to him. And in this psalm, we give thanks to him. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. His name is Yahweh. His son's name is Yeshua. Uh, Jehovah is salvation, Jesus. That's what his name means. Is, we praise him for his creative work in this psalm, and we praise him for his redemptive work, bringing children of Israel uh, out of Egypt, and that should always trigger in our minds our salvation from sin, our Egypt, our darkness uh, in sin that the Lord Jesus brought us out of, and His slaying of mighty kings, how He conquers uh, all the enemies, those who would hinder the people of God. All history is showing us and proving to us what God is doing, for his elect. All the movements of the nations, all the turmoil, everything you see uh, in the news today is simply uh, got a, a history of what God is doing for his people. We don't read that in the, <laughs> the op eds, but that is what is going on. And it ends with praise for him remembering us in our lowest state. We should always remember that. God brought us from a very low place. You know, he, he reminds uh, the Jews, my father was a Syrian ready to die. Uh, he, was a, he was an idol worshiper ready to die. They, when they brought their sacrifices, they were to remember that. And so he remembered us in our lowest state. And so, uh, but we end each verse with a reminder that his loving kindness is everlasting. And so, instead of having you just say, <laughs> give the mind-numbing repetition of that portion of it, let's just—I'll I'll let you read the entire verse. Uh, again, the even verses. If you'd like to stand, please. As I said, I'll read the odds and you read the evens. Give thanks to Yahweh for He is good; for His loving kindness is everlasting.
2: Give thanks to Yahweh.
0: Give thanks to the Lord of Lords for his loving kindness is everlasting. To
2: him
0: him who made the heavens with skill for his loving kindness is everlasting.
2: To him who spread out the earth above the waters for his loving kindness is everlasting.
0: To him who made the great lights for his loving kindness is everlasting.
2: The sun to rule by day, for his loving kindness is everlasting.
0: The moon and stars to rule by night, for his loving kindness is everlasting.
2: To give them the law of the Egyptians in their firstborn, for his loving kindness is everlasting.
0: And brought Israel out from their midst, for his loving kindness. His everlasting
2: with his strong hand, not shall strength fail. For his loving kindness is everlasting.
0: To him who divided the red sea asunder, for his loving kindness is everlasting.
2: And may Israel pass through his deeds, for his loving kindness is everlasting.
0: But he overthrew Pharaoh and his army in the red sea, For his loving kindness is everlasting.
2: To him who led his people through the wilderness, for his loving kindness is everlasting.
0: To him who smote great kings, for his loving kindness is everlasting.
2: And slew mighty kings, for his loving kindness is everlasting.
0: Sihon, king of the Amorites, for his loving kindness is everlasting.
2: Gave
0: for his and gave their land as a heritage, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Who remembered us in our lowest state, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Who gives food to all flesh, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Give thanks to God
2: ever, for his loving kindness is everlasting.
0: Amen. Please be seated.
1: Again, take your Trinity hymn books, turning to Hymn five hundred and ninety-nine, the sands of time are seeking. Five ninety nine. If you're able, you have you stand again, keep you awake a little bit. I'll take your copies of God's Word and turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. I was thinking about what God had for us this morning as Moses tells the people of God as they were eagerly anticipating going into that promised land how they were to live as they entered into that land. And I sort of, as I've looked at the text and thought about the text, and wondered what it must have been like. Finally, God fulfilling his promise. And how many times the children of Israel must have wondered, is it ever going to come to pass? Are we ever going to enter into that land? We were so close at one point, only to be delayed 40 years wandering through the desert or in the wilderness. And and now we're right here. And, and we're about ready to go in, and how they must have anticipated that. I wonder what some of the conversation must have been like. You know, were, were, there, were there conversations around the campfire at night, and saying, you know, this is the the promise of, of a city that that we've never built, and, and we're going to have houses filled that that we didn't fill, and, and so forth, and 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 that just that eager anticipation of entering into that land. And then I thought about us and how there is an eager anticipation that we feel as well. That eager anticipation of entering into that land of promise, that new heaven and new earth. And and Peter directs our thoughts to that reality. Peter directs our minds to think about that new heaven and new earth that we've been promised and that we've been waiting a long time to see fulfilled. And, And there are some who would say, where is the fulfillment of that promise? When will that take place? And yet it's coming. But what I thought was interesting was, Moses told them, here's how you're to live when you enter into the promised land. Peter tells us, here's how you're to live As you anticipate entering into that promised land. Because we know how we're going to live when we enter into that land. It will be a place of perfect righteousness. No more pain, no more suffering, no more disappointment. But as we anticipate that, Peter's address to us is here's how. You ought to live. And so here, I want to direct your attention to 2 Corinthians 3, starting in verse 14. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found in him in peace, spotless, and blameless. And regard the patience of the Lord... As salvation, just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you. Now, now as we come to consider, especially verse 14, together, the first thing you notice, and Bill's not here, but if Bill was here, he would remind you, the first word that we have in this verse is, therefore. All right? Now make Bill proud. What are you supposed to do with that? You're supposed to stop and say, therefore, what? what's it referring to? Therefore, in light of these things, what is that all about? And, and if you look at the context, which we won't get into this afternoon, you'll see that, that Peter has set before his readers the reality about the coming of the day of the Lord. He's, he, he's set before them... The, the, the truth about looking for the new heaven and the new earth. So the therefore refers to that reality of the day of the Lord and of the new heavens and the new earth. And Peter says there's relevance for you and me in that. That's just not... High in the sky, by and by. It's not just a a dream world or a a fairy tale that that you might think about. But it is in light of that reality, of of the coming of the day of the Lord, that, that you ought to live a certain way. When you come to verse 14, the word therefore is emphatic. It's emphatic. In light of these things... These things that we have considered, it ought to have an effect upon how you live now. The day of the Lord and the new heaven and the new earth ought to be something that affects how you live today. And so he tells them as with a pastor's heart as he refers to them as my beloved, my beloved. He uses that terminology in the closing of this book a couple times. Verse 14, therefore beloved. Down to verse 17, you therefore beloved. These are people that Peter had a heartfelt love for. And he's speaking to them out of that heartfelt love. And and he's concerned about them. He he wants the best for them. It's like the mother who who pleads with her child and and she does so with, oh, my dear son. She doesn't use that just as a term that I like you a little bit. She uses that terminology because she cares about that son and she wants what's best for him. And Peter does the same thing here. My beloved, in light of the day of the Lord, in light of the new heaven and the new earth. And then he sets down these directions for them. And and as we consider them together, we'll do so under two very simple headings. First of all, there's an assumed outlook, an assumed outlook, and then that's followed by some clear instructions. So a very simple, but I trust, helpful message just to remind us how we should be living. So first of all, there is an assumed outlook. Notice what he says. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, he is assuming that he's writing to a people whose mind is set on the promise of the day of the Lord and the new heavens, And the new earth. He's not. He believes that these people aren't just giving thought to these things every now and then. But it is continually on their mind. It is something that they are looking forward to. It's like the child at Christmas time. Once Thanksgiving is over with the child is eagerly anticipating the next holiday. And as that holiday is getting closer, they they get a little bit more excited. And and, and when certain things appear in the house that aren't normally there during that holiday, they get a little bit more excited. Christmas is coming. And for some of them, it means new toys or whatever. But, But there's this eager anticipation And it is continually on their mind. They they talk about it. Mommy, how how many more days till Christmas? Hey, Mommy, do 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 you remember what I told you I wanted for Christmas? It is their constant thought of anticipation. And Peter assumes that's true with the believers. It is something that they are diligently setting their minds upon. This word that is used emphasizes an earnest, expected looking. It is a looking for something in the future... But it has an effect upon their lives now. Since you are looking, or since you look for these things, It's a, it's a present tense, which means just a, it is a continual looking, a, a continual attitude of expectancy. The coming of the Lord, the the eternal state, the the glorious kingdom that awaits us, the the presence of God forever and ever is always on their mind. One man has written, these things refers to a freshly created heaven and earth. Where God's God's will is paramount and the righteousness is permanent citizens, not an occasional visitor. I'm sorry. Where righteousness is a permanent citizen and not an occasional visitor. How much do we think about eternity? How much... Do we think about the new heaven and the new earth? Now I will confess, the older I get, the more I think about it. But for you young people and you children, I, I would encourage you to, to think about that often. To anticipate that day when when no more sin, no more decay of the body. Righteousness is a citizen, not just an occasional visitor. Where we will see God, we will be like Christ. That ought to get you excited. There are some days when I, when I, when I get up and, and there's that sense of, okay, another day. What's it going to bring? I don't think it's all going to be a bed of roses. Who's going to call me with with this problem or what's going to come into my house next? And to think that one day all that will be over. To think about those things. So there's the assumed assumption. But then secondly, Peter sets before us, Clear instruction. Clear instruction. And Peter tells his readers that in light of this assumption, there's an action that should be taken. And there's an evidence of such action taking place in your life. Now, what's the action? Peter says, since you look for these things, now here is what he wants you to do. Be diligent to be found by him. Be diligent to be found by him. Peter sets this forth as an imperative. This is a commandment. Be diligent. It is a sharp and urgent duty. It's a command to be carried out without delay. Be diligent. That's a term he's used before, even in this letter. If you look back to chapter 1 and verse 10. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about your calling and your choosing. Chapter 1, verse 15. And I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure you will be able to call these things to mind. So here Paul's using that terminology again, be diligent. And that term means this, make every effort. Make every effort to be found to be found by him when he comes. Will he find you? I, th- I thought it was an interesting terminology. I, I, I often read this this way Make every, be ever diligent to be found in him, being united to him. But that, the text doesn't say that. The text says, be diligent to be found by him. And, and I wonder if Peter has in mind that great day when Christ comes again. And He gathers together His elect. And they're caught up in the air to meet Him. Those who are dead in Christ shall rise first, and we who are alive will be caught up together with Him. He will have all His own be brought to Him in the air. And then there will be the destruction of this world as we now know it burning with intense heat, as Peter mentions in in the previous verses in our our chapter. And then there will be brought in this new heaven and new earth. And and, and he will usher us into that new heavens and new earth. And, and, And Peter's exhortation, his instructions to us is make sure You're a part of that. That you will be found by him. Those are mine. Because there will be a multitude who will be left. And that multitude will experience his intense wrath. And Peter says, I don't want you to be a part of them. I want him to know you. This one is mine enter into my presence with joy. And so the challenge to each one of us is what Peter said earlier in chapter 1. We need to be diligent in making our calling and election sure. Do you know that you're a child of God? How many times do we wrestle with that question? Am I truly his? Am I known to him? And and people battle with that whole question of assurance. Am I truly a child of God? And Peter doesn't say, well, just relax. God will take care of it. But he challenges us to be diligent in making sure that we are known by him. And how do we do that? Well, by faith. Jesus, thy blood and righteousness is my only hope. What I've accomplished and what I do here upon earth does not make me right with God. Many on that day will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not do this and do that? And he doesn't say to them, no, you never did anything like that. Never. He doesn't say that. But he still says to them, depart from me, I don't know you. Why? Because they were minus a true righteousness. The righteousness that's found in Christ and Christ alone. Are you confident that your only hope of heaven is a righteousness outside of yourself, but is, is, is in Jesus Christ alone? The older I get, the more thankful I am for that righteousness. And for that confidence that I don't have to stand before God by myself. But I have a Savior. And it's through His righteousness I will be found by Him. Be diligent. Make every effort. To be found by Him. And my purpose this afternoon is not for you to question your salvation. My hope is that you'll be more confident in your salvation because it is found in Christ and Christ alone. So there's the action that we are to take. Be diligent to be found by Him. But then Peter goes on and he sets down the evidence of those who will be found by Him. The evidence of those who will be found by Him. And there's really three things that he mentions. Look at the text. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless, and blameless. So I'm going to combine these into two. First of all, there's peace. A a true child of God is one who lives in peace. And secondly is that of being found spotless or blameless, so we could encompass those two things with the word holy, pure, before God. So there's peace. There is peace. As we anticipate the return of Christ, as believers, we should live with a deep sense of peace. It's the opposite of a disturbance or an unsettledness. Whatever the believer's circumstances, with his mind set on Christ, he can have peace. Peace. A satisfied conscience. Now when we speak and Jerry Bridges has an excellent chapter on his in his book, The Practice of Godliness. On peace. And he mentions the reality that there are three areas of peace that the believer ought to live in. First of all, there's peace with God. It's the foundation upon which the peace is found in our lives. It's the the foundation upon which our justification rests. Romans 5, one Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a peace that I have with God. Everything is good. At one time, we lived in hostility towards God. Colossians 1 in verse 21 points out that, that reality of, of the hostility and separation that we once had with God. We, we were subject of His wrath. But now, being justified by faith, be, being declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God. Do you have a peace with God? Everything good between you and God? Do you know of that reality? You're able to put your head on your pillow at night and be at peace. Things are good. Secondly, there's peace within ourselves. You know, we live in turbulent times. It seems like there's chaos all around us and calamity, and and things look so bleak, you know? I mean, I, I, I will be honest, over the last several months, There have been times that I've felt a bit overwhelmed. And I've asked, is this ever going to end? And just about the time you think it's going to end, something else comes up. Just about the time I think I've got everything taken care of, then somebody calls me and says, oh, I can't come to work today and help you because my son has COVID. So I'll be back with you next week. And then I get a phone call the next week saying, oh, Someone else in our household has COVID, so it's going to be. And then two weeks later, it's, oh, I now have COVID. And, and you're going, oh, this has to stop. The other day, I, when, when I was leaving to go to Florida for a couple of days, I was at the airport. And by the time I went to security and got to my gate, I had two different texts from two different people. Asking me to pray for a family member who had been diagnosed with COVID and are in the hospital, both of them. Just that little distance. I'm like, what? Is this ever going to end? This is crazy. And, and I meet with pastors and, and I hear them say, This has been the most difficult time of ministry in my life. People seem to be at odds with one another over all the restrictions and what we ought to do and what we ought not to do. And, and, and there just seems to be a, a chaos around us. And then we see what's going on in, in the world system and the rumors of war and so forth and sending men more out to battle. And you're, it's, it's a crazy time. But as a believer, I appreciated what Cliff said. Every event that's transpiring in history is for my good to, in the end, for my ultimate salvation. I appreciated that, brother. (laughs) Because there have been some mornings when I wake up and I'm thinking, okay, what's what's this day going to be like? But I trust with God's help, I may wake up with saying, Lord, how are you going to bring me to the final end? What do you have for me today that's only going to all the more bring me to that day when I shall see you as you are? Because you've got a plan and you're working it out. To be at peace within ourselves. I don't have to worry. I don't have to fret. I don't have to get angry don't have to get bitter. And that's easy to do. And I speak from experience. When I saw my life years ago at 66, this is not what I saw. Didn't know this was going to happen. Had no idea what God had in store for me. But the one help I get, and I, people ask me all the time, <laughs> I had two phone calls this week, how are you doing it? Well, part of my answer is you do what you got to do. I don't have a choice. I'm not going to run away. But you know, part of my answer is God's in control. And He has a purpose and a plan. And He loves me and cares for me. And I can trust Him. That's a subtleness. That's a peace. I want to be wise. I want to be diligent. But I do want to be running around with, With bitterness, it's been my ongoing prayer, Lord, do not allow me to become bitter or angry in light of my circumstances. And that's not easy. It's not easy. Jesus himself tells us in John 66 and verse 13, in the world you will have tribulation. He's promised. It's almost like a promise. In the world, mark it down, you're going to have trouble. But there's another promise that follows this. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Nothing is so small or minute, minute that it escapes God's notice. To be at peace within myself, and then thirdly, to be at peace with others. To live at peace with others. As much as lies within me, be at peace with all men. We ought to be at peace with one another. We are. We ought not to live with a sense of tension towards each other or ill will towards one another or dismissing each other. But we ought to be at peace with each other. And so here are the three areas in which, as I anticipate Christ's coming and I want to be found by him, I'll live my life in peace peace towards God, peace within myself, and and peace towards others. How are we doing? How are we doing? And then secondly, and more briefly, to be spotless and blameless. To be a holy people. James tells us this is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. To pursue holiness. Holiness. I think Pastor Martin said holiness is an honest desire and a serious attempt to be cleansed and delivered from evil. It's an honest desire. This is what I want. This is an honest, sincere desire of my heart. And then not only to say, well, that's my desire, but I'm going to sit back and see what happens, but then make a serious attempt. To be diligent in keeping my own heart. To be sensitive to sin. To be quick to, to acknowledge sin and ask for forgiveness. An honest desire and a serious attempt to be cleansed and delivered from all sin. That's what it is to live in holiness. Do we know something of that in our own lives? How seriously do we take sin? And how quick are we to confess sin? How often are we more quick about making an excuse for our sin? You know, oftentimes people tell me why they sin. Well, it's because of, instead of saying, Pastor, I want to be quick to seek forgiveness of that sin. We can make excuses, but God knows... And there's nothing God's given us to do that He won't give us the grace to do it if we look to Him. And so may we be quick to confess and forsake our sin. So let me close our time by just saying if Christ comes back in the next 24 hours, If you knew that, in the next 24 hours, Christ will return. How differently would you live your life? If you knew that. He's coming back. And oftentimes I feel like the children of Israel. When is this going to happen? But as I anticipate that day, may God help each one of us to be diligent, to be found by Him, living in this world with peace, being spotless and blameless until He comes. Let's pray. Father, again we thank You for the direction of Your Word and pray that these things are not things that we just simply hear and then brush off, but that Father you would help us to live in light of these truths. That it truly would have an effect as as we live in turbulent days, as we live in uncertain days, how we as believers do not need to be unhinged or unsettled, but just trust in you. Being wise, using every legitimate means to live as we ought here in this world, but, but not to be caught up with worry and fret that so diminishes our sight of you. Help us, we pray, and may we be a people that eagerly anticipate your return and cry out, even with John, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. As we ask these things in Christ's name, amen. Well, let's take our hymn books, Trinity hymn books, turning to 609. 609. A few more years shall roll, a few more seasons come, and we shall be with those at with those that rest asleep within the tomb. And oh, my Lord, prepare. 609. Let's stand again. to go throughout this coming week anticipating the return of our great God. You are dismissed.